Chapter twenty two of Rural Rides. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Rural Rides by William Cobbett. Chapter twenty two. Ride from Salisbury to Warminster, from Warminster to Froome, from Froome to Devizes, and from Devizes to Highworth. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat? Shall not the land tremble for this, and every one mourn that dwelleth therein? I will turn your feasting into mourning, saith the Lord God, and your songs into lamentations. Amos chapter 8, verses 4 to 10. Hatesbury, Wiltshire, Thursday, 31st August, 1826. This place, which is one of the rotten boroughs of Wiltshire, and which was formerly a considerable town, is now but a very miserable affair. Yesterday morning I went into the cathedral at Salisbury about seven o'clock. When I got into the nave of the church and was looking up and admiring the columns and the roof, I heard a sort of humming in some place which appeared to be in the transept of the building. I wondered what it was, and made my way towards the place whence the noise appeared to issue. As I approached it the noise seemed to grow louder. At last I thought I could distinguish the sounds of the human voice. This encouraged me to proceed, and, still following the sound, I at last turned in at a doorway to my left, where I found a priest and his congregation assembled. It was a parson of some sort, with a white covering on him, and five women and four men. When I arrived, there were five couple of us. I joined the congregation until they came to the litany, and then being monstrously hungry, I did not think myself bound to stay any longer. I wonder what the founders would say if they could rise from the grave and see such a congregation as this in this most magnificent and beautiful cathedral. I wonder what they would say if they could know to what purpose the endowments of this cathedral are now applied and above all things I wonder what they would say, if they could see the half-starved labourers that now minister to the luxuries of those who wallow in the wealth of those endowments. There is one thing at any rate that might be abstained from by those that revel in the riches of those endowments, namely to abuse and blackguard those of our forefathers from whom the endowments came, and who erected the edifice, and carried so far towards the skies that beautiful and matchless spire, of which the present possessors have the impudence to boast, while they represent as ignorant and benighted creatures those who conceive the grand design and who executed the scientific and costly work these fellows in big white wigs of the size of half a bushel have the audacity even within the walls of the cathedrals themselves to rail against those who founded them and rennell and sturgis while they were actually literally fattening on the spoils of the monastery of st swithin at winchester were publishing abusive pamphlets against the catholic religion which had given them their very bread. For my part, I could not look up at the spire and the whole of the church at Salisbury without feeling that I lived in degenerate times. Such a thing never could be made now. We feel that as we look at the building. It really does appear that if our forefathers had not made these buildings, we should have forgotten before now what the Christian religion was. At Salisbury, or very near to it, four other rivers fall into the Avon, the Wiley River, the Nadder, the Bourne, and another little river that comes from Norrington. 
these all become one at last just below salisbury and then under the name of the avon wind along down and fall into the sea at christchurch in coming from salisbury i came up the road which runs pretty nearly parallel with the river wiley which river rises at warminster and in the neighbourhood this river runs down a valley twenty-two miles long it is not so pretty as the valley of the avon but it is very fine in its whole length from salisbury to this place Hatesbury. here are watered meadows nearest to the river on both sides then the gardens the houses and the cornfields after the cornfields come the downs but generally speaking the downs are not so bold here as they are on the sides of the avon the downs do not come out in promontories so often as they do on the sides of the avon the ha-ha if i may so express it is not so deep and the sides of it not so steep as in the case of the avon but the villages are as frequent there is more than one church in every mile and there has been a due proportion of mansion-houses demolished and defaced the farms are very fine up this vale and the meadows particularly at a place called stapleford are singularly fine they had just been mowed at stapleford and the hay carried off at stapleford there is a little cross valley running up between two hills of the down there is a little run of water about a yard wide at this time coming down this little vale across the road into the river the little vale runs up three miles it does not appear to be half a mile wide but in those three miles there are four churches namely stapleford uppington berwick st james and winterbourne stoke the present population of these four villages is seven hundred and sixty-nine souls men women and children the whole of whom could very conveniently be seated in the chancel of the church at stapleford indeed the church and parish of uppington seem to have been united with one of the other parishes like the parish in kent which was united with north cray and not a single house of which now remains what were these four churches built for within the distance of three miles there are three parsonage houses still remaining but and it is a very curious fact neither of them good enough for the parson to live in here are seven hundred and sixty souls to be taken care of but there is no parsonage house for a sole curer to stay in or at least that he will stay in and all the three parsonages are in the return laid before parliament represented to be no better than miserable labourers cottages though the parish of winterbourne stoke has a church sufficient to contain two or three thousand people the truth is that the parsons have been receiving the revenues of the livings and have been suffering the parsonage houses to fall into decay here were two or three mansion houses which are also gone even from the sides of this little run of water to-day has been exceedingly hot hotter i think for a short time than i ever felt it in england before in coming through a village called wishford and mounting a little hill i thought the heat upon my back was as great as i had ever felt it in my life there were thunderstorms about and it had rained at wishford a little before i came to it my next village was one that i had lived in for a short time when i was only about ten or eleven years of age i had been sent down with a horse from farnham and i remember that i went by stonehenge and rode up and looked at the stones from stonehenge i went to the village of steeple langford where i remained from the month of june till the fall of the year i remembered the beautiful villages up and down this valley i also remembered very well that the women at steeple langford used to card and spin dyed wool i was therefore somewhat filled with curiosity to see this steeple langford again and indeed it was the recollection of this village that made me take a ride into wiltshire this summer i have i dare say a thousand times talked about this steeple langford and about the beautiful farms and meadows along this valley i have talked of these to my children a great many times and i formed the design of letting two of them see this valley this year and to go through warminster to stroud and so on to gloucester and hereford 
but when i got to everley i found that they would never get along fast enough to get into herefordshire in time for what they intended so that i parted from them in the manner i have before described i was resolved however to see steeple langford myself and i was impatient to get to it hoping to find a public house and a stable to put my horse in to protect him for a while against the flies which tormented him to such a degree that to ride him was work as hard as threshing when i got to steeple langford i found no public house and i found it a much more miserable place than i had remembered it the steeple to which it owed its distinctive appellation was gone and the place altogether seemed to me to be very much altered for the worse a little further on however i came to a very famous inn called deptford inn which is in the parish of wyley i stayed at this inn till about four o'clock in the afternoon i remembered wyley very well and thought it a gay place when i was a boy i remembered a very beautiful garden belonging to a rich farmer and miller i went to see it but alas though the statues in the water and on the grass plat were still remaining everything seemed to be in a state of perfect carelessness and neglect the living of this parish of wyley was lately owned by dampier a brother of the judge who lived at and i believe had the living of mayon stoke in hampshire this fellow i believe never saw the parish of wyley but once though it must have yielded him a pretty good fleece it is a rectory and the great tithes must be worth i should think six or seven hundred pounds a year at the least it is part of our system to have certain families who have no particular merit but who are to be maintained without why or wherefore at the public expense in some shape or under some name or other it matters not much what shape or what name if you look through the old list of pensioners sinecures parsons and the like you will find the same names everlastingly recurring they seem to be a sort of creatures that have an inheritance in the public carcass like the maggots that some people have in their skins this family of dampier seems to be one of these what in god's name should have made one of these a bishop and the other a judge i never heard of the smallest particle of talent that either of them possessed this rector of wyley was another of them there was no harm in them that i know of beyond that of living upon the public but where were their merits they had none to distinguish them and to entitle them to the great sums they received and under any other system than such a system as this they would in all human probability have been gentlemen servants or little shopkeepers i dare say there is some of the breed left and if there be i would pledge my existence that they are in some shape or other feeding upon the public however thus it must be until that change come which will put an end to men paying fourpence in tax upon a pot of beer this deptford inn was a famous place of meeting for the yeomanry cavalry in glorious anti-jacobin times when wheat was twenty shillings a bushel and when a man could be crammed into jail for years for only looking awry this inn was a glorious place in the days of peg nicholson and her knights strangely altered now the shape of the garden shows you what revelry used to be carried on here peel's bill gave this inn and all belonging to it a terrible souse the unfeeling brutes who used to brandish their swords and swagger about at the news of what was called a victory have now to lower their scale in clothing in drink in eating in dress in horse-flesh and everything else they are now a lower sort of men than they were they look at their rusty sword and their old dusty helmet and their once gay regimental jacket they do not hang these up now in the parlour for everybody to see them they hang them up in their bedrooms or in a cockloft and when they meet their eye they look at them as a cow does at a bastard calf or as the bridegroom does at a girl that the overseers are about to compel him to marry if their children should happen to see these implements of war twenty or thirty years hence they will certainly think that their fathers were the greatest fools that ever walked the face of the earth and that will be a most filial and charitable way of thinking of them for it is not from ignorance that they have sinned but from excessive baseness 
and when any of them now complain of those acts of the government which strip them, as the late order in council does, of a fifth part of their property in an hour, let them recollect their own base and malignant conduct towards those persecuted reformers, who, if they had not been suppressed by these very yeomen, would long ago have put an end to the cause of that ruin, of which these yeomen now complain. When they complain of their ruin, let them remember the toasts which they drank in anti-Jacobin times. Let them remember their base and insulting exultations on the occasion of the 16th of August at Manchester. Let them remember their cowardly abuse of men, who are endeavouring to free their country from that horrible scourge which they themselves now feel. Just close by this Deptford Inn is the farmhouse of the farm where that Gourlay lived, who has long been making a noise in the court of Chancery, and who is now, I believe, confined in some place or other for having assaulted Mr. Broom. This fellow, who is confined, the newspapers tell us, on a charge of being insane, is certainly one of the most malignant devils that I ever knew anything of in my life. He went to Canada about the time that I went last to the United States. He got into a quarrel with the government there about something, I know not what. He came to see me at my house in the neighbourhood of New York, just before I came home. He told me his Canada story. I showed him all the kindness in my power, and he went away, knowing that I was just then coming to England. I had hardly got home before the Scotch newspapers contained communications from a person pretending to derive his information from Gourley, relating to what Gourley had described as having passed between him and me, and which description was a tissue of most abominable falsehoods, all having a direct tendency to do injury to me, who had never, either by word or deed, done anything that could possibly have a tendency to do injury to this Gourley. What the vile Scotch newspapers had begun, the malignant reptile himself continued, after his return to England, and, in an address to Lord Bathurst, endeavoured to make his court to the government by the most foul, false, and detestable slanders upon me, from whom, observe, he had never received any injury, or attempt at injury, in the whole course of his life, whom he had visited, to whose house he had gone, of his own accord, and that too, as he said, out of respect for me, endeavoured, I say, to make his court to the government, by the most abominable slanders against me, he is now, even now, putting forth, under the form of letters to me, a revival of what he pretends was a conversation that passed between us at my house near New York. Even if what he says were true, none but caitiffs as base as those who conduct the English newspapers would give circulation to his letters, containing, as they must, the substance of a conversation purely private. But I never had any conversation with him. I never talked to him at all about the things that he is now bringing forward. I heard the fellow's stories about Canada— I thought he told me lies, and besides, I did not care a straw whether his stories were true or not. I looked upon him as a sort of gambling adventurer, but I treated him, as is the fashion of the country in which I was, with great civility and hospitality. There are two fellows of the name of Jacob and Johnson at Winchester, and two fellows at Salisbury of the name of Brodie and Dowding. These reptiles publish each couple of them a newspaper, and in these newspapers they seem to take particular delight in calumniating me. The two Winchester fellows insert the letters of this half-crazy, half-cunning Scotchman, Gurley. The other fellows insert still viler slanders, and if I had seen one of their papers before I left Salisbury, which I have seen since, I certainly would have given Mr. Brodie something to make him remember me. This fellow, who was a little coal-merchant but a short while ago, is now, it seems, a paper-money-maker, as well as a newspaper-maker. Stop, Master Brodie, till I go to Salisbury again, and see whether I do not give you a cheque, even such as you did not receive during the late run. Gurley, amongst other whims, took it into his head to write against the poor laws, saying that they were a bad thing. He found, however, at last, that they were necessary to keep him from starving, for he came down to Wiley three or four years ago, and threw himself upon the parish. 
the overseers who recollected what a swaggering blade it was when it came here to teach the moon-rakers hoot farm on did not see the sense of keeping him like a gentleman so they set him to crack stones upon the highway and that set him off again pretty quickly the farm that he rented is a very fine farm with a fine large farmhouse to it it is looked upon as one of the best farms in the country the present occupier is a farmer born in the neighbourhood a man such as ought to occupy it and Gurley, who came here with his Scotch impudence to teach others how to farm, is much about where and how he ought to be. Jacob and Johnson of Winchester know perfectly well that all the fellow says about me is lies. They know also that their parson readers know that it is a mass of lies. They further know that the parsons know that they know that it is a mass of lies. But they know that their paper will sell the better for that. They know that to circulate lies about me will get them money, and this is what they do it for. And such is the character of English newspapers— and of a great part of the readers of those newspapers. Therefore, when I hear of people suffering, when I hear of people being ruined, when I hear of unfortunate families, when I hear a talk of this kind, I stop, before I either express or feel compassion, to ascertain who and what the sufferers are, and whether they have or have not participated in, or approved of, acts like those of Jacob and Johnson and Brodie and Dowding. For if they have, if they have malignantly calumniated those who have been labouring to prevent their ruin and misery, then a crushed earwig or spider or eft or toad is as much entitled to the compassion of a just and sensible man let the reptiles perish it would be injustice it would be to fly in the face of morality and religion to express sorrow for their ruin they themselves have felt for no man and for the wife and children of no man if that man's public virtues thwarted their own selfish views or even excited their groundless fears they have signed addresses applauding everything tyrannical and inhuman they have seemed to glory in the shame of their country, to rejoice in its degradation, and even to exult in the shedding of innocent blood, if these things did but tend, as they thought, to give them permanent security in the enjoyment of their unjust gains. Such has been their conduct, they are numerous, they are to be found in all parts of the kingdom. Therefore again I say, when I hear of ruin or misery, I must know what the conduct of the sufferers has been, before I bestow my compassion. Warminster, Wiltshire, Friday, 1st September I set out from Hatesbury this morning about six o'clock. Last night, before I went to bed, I found that there were some men and boys in the house, who had come all the way from Bradford, about twelve miles, in order to get nuts. These people were men and boys that had been employed in the cloth factories at Bradford, and about Bradford. I had some talk with some of these nutters, and I am quite convinced, not that the cloth-making is at an end, but that it never will be again what it has been. Before last Christmas these manufacturers had full work, at one shilling and threepence a yard at broadcloth weaving. They have now a quarter work at one shilling a yard. One and threepence a yard for this weaving has been given at all times within the memory of man. Nothing can show more clearly than this, and in a stronger light, the great change which has taken place in the remuneration of labour. There was a turnout last winter when the price was reduced to a shilling a yard, but it was put an end to in the usual way, the constable staff, the bayonet, the jail, these poor nutters were extremely ragged. I saved my supper, and I fasted instead of breakfasting. That was three shillings which I had saved, and I added five to them, with a resolution to save them afterwards, in order to give these chaps a breakfast for once in their lives. There were eight of them, six men and two boys, and I gave them two quartern loaves, two pounds of cheese, and eight pints of strong beer. The fellows were very thankful, but the conduct of the landlord and landlady pleased me exceedingly. When I came to pay my bill, they had said nothing about my bed, which had been a very good one, and when I asked why they had not put the bed into the bill, they said they would not charge anything for the bed, 
since I had been so good to the poor men. Yes, said I, but I must not throw the expense upon you. I had no supper, and I have had no breakfast, and therefore I am not called upon to pay for them, but I have had the bed. It ended by my paying for the bed, and coming off, leaving the nutters at their breakfast, and very much delighted with the landlord and his wife, and I must here observe that I have pretty generally found a good deal of compassion for the poor people to prevail amongst publicans and their wives. From Hatesbury to Warminster is a part of the country singularly bright and beautiful. From Salisbury up to very near Hatesbury you have the valley, as before described by me, meadows next the water, then arable land, then the downs. But when you come to Hatesbury, and indeed a little before, in looking forward you see the vale stretch out, from about three miles wide to ten miles wide, from high land to high land. From a hill before you come down to Hatesbury, you see through this wide opening into Somersetshire. You see a round hill rising in the middle of the opening, but all the rest a flat enclosed country, and apparently full of wood. In looking back down this vale one cannot help being struck with the innumerable proofs that there are of a decline in point of population. In the first place there are twenty-four parishes, each of which takes a little strip across the valley, and runs up through the arable land into the down. There are twenty-four parish churches, and there ought to be as many parsonage houses, but seven of these out of the twenty-four, that is to say nearly one-third of them, are in the returns laid before Parliament, and of which returns I shall speak more particularly by and by, stated to be such miserable dwellings as to be unfit for a parson to reside in. Two of them, however, are gone. There are no parsonage houses in those two parishes. There are the sites, there are the glebes, but the houses have been suffered to fall down and to be totally carried away. The tithes remain, indeed, and the parson sacks the amount of them. A journeyman parson comes and works in three or four churches of a Sunday, but the master parson is not there. He generally carries away the produce to spend it in London, at Bath, or somewhere else, to show off his daughters, and the overseers, that is to say the farmers, manage the poor in their own way, instead of having, according to the ancient law, a third part of all the tithes to keep them with. The falling down in the beggary of these parsonage-houses proved beyond all question the decayed state of the population, and indeed the mansion-houses are gone except in a very few instances. There are but five left that I could perceive all the way from Salisbury to Warminster, though the country is the most pleasant that can be imagined. Here is water, here are meadows, plenty of fresh-water fish, hares and partridges in abundance, and it is next to impossible to destroy them. Here are shooting, coursing, hunting, hills of every height, size, and form, valleys the same, lofty trees and rookeries in every mile, roads always solid and good, always pleasant for exercise, and the air must be of the best in the world. Yet it is manifest that four-fifths of the mansions have been swept away. There is a parliamentary return to prove that nearly a third of the parsonage-houses have become beggarly holes or have disappeared. I have now been in nearly threescore villages, and in twenty or thirty or forty hamlets of Wiltshire, and I do not know that I have been in one, however small, in which I did not see a house or two, and sometimes more, either tumbled down or beginning to tumble down. It is impossible for the eyes of man to be fixed on a finer country than that between the village of Codford and the town of Warminster, and it is not very easy for the eyes of man to discover labouring people more miserable. There are two villages, one called Norton Boven, and the other Bishop's Trow, which I think form together one of the prettiest spots that my eyes ever beheld. The former village belongs to Bennet, the member for the county, who has a mansion there, in which two of his sisters live, I am told. There is a farm at Bishop's Trow, standing at the back of the arable land, up in a vale formed by two very lofty hills, 
upon each of which there was formerly a roman camp in consideration of which farm if the owner would give it to me i would almost consent to let ottiwell wood remain quiet in his seat and suffer the pretty gentlemen of whitehall to go on without note or comment till they had fairly blowed up their concern the farmyard is surrounded by lofty and beautiful trees in the rickyard i counted twenty-two ricks of one sort and another the hills shelter the house and the yard and the trees most completely from every wind but the south the arable land goes down before the house and spreads along the edge of the down going with a gentle slope down to the meadows so that going along the turnpike road which runs between the lower fields of the arable land you see the large and beautiful flocks of sheep upon the sides of the down while the horned cattle are up to their eyes in grass in the meadows just when i was coming along here the sun was about half an hour high it shined through the trees most brilliantly and to crown the whole i met just as i was entering the village a very pretty girl who was apparently going a-gleaning in the fields i asked her the name of the place and when she told me it was bishop's trow she pointed to the situation of the church which she said was on the other side of the river she really put me in mind of these pretty girls at preston who spat upon the individual of the derby family and i made her a bow accordingly the whole of the population of the twenty-four parishes down this vale amounts to only eleven thousand one hundred and ninety-five souls according to the official return to parliament and mind i include the parish of fisherton anger a suburb of the city of salisbury which contains eight hundred and ninety-three of the number i include the town of hatesbury with its one thousand twenty-three souls and i further include this very good and large market-town of warminster with its population of five thousand so that i leave in the other twenty-one parishes only four thousand one hundred and seventy souls men women and children that is to say a hundred and ninety-eight souls to each parish or reckoning five to a family thirty-nine families to each parish above one half of the population never could be expected to be in the church at one time so that here are one in twenty churches built for the purpose of holding two thousand and eighty people there are several of these churches any one of which would conveniently contain the whole of these people the two thousand and eighty the church of bishopstrow would contain the whole of the two thousand and eighty very well indeed and it is curious enough to observe that the churches of fisherton anger hatesbury and warminster though quite sufficient to contain the people that go to church are none of them nearly so big as several of the village churches all these churches are built long and long before the reign of richard the second that is to say they were founded long before that time and if the first churches were gone these others were built in their stead there is hardly one of them that is not as old as the reign of richard the second and yet that impudent scotchman george chalmers would make us believe that in the reign of richard the second the population of the country was hardly anything at all he has the impudence or the gross ignorance to state the population of england and wales at two millions which as i have shown in the last number of the protestant reformation would allow only twelve able men to every parish church throughout the kingdom what i ask for about the thousandth time i ask it what were these twenty churches built for some of them stand within a quarter of a mile of each other they are pretty nearly as close to each other as the churches in london and westminster are what a monstrous thing to suppose that they were built without there being people to go to them and built too without money and without hands the whole of the population in these twenty-one parishes could stand and without much crowding too in the bottoms of the towers of the several churches nay in three or four of the parishes the whole of the people could stand in the church porches then the church yards show you how numerous the population must have been you see in some cases only here and there the mark of a grave where the churchyard contains from half an acre to an acre of land and sometimes more 
in short everything shows that here was once a great and opulent population that there was an abundance to eat to wear and to spare that all the land that is now under cultivation and a great deal that is not now under cultivation was under cultivation in former times the scotch beggars would make us believe that we sprang from beggars the impudent scribes would make us believe that england was formerly nothing at all till they came to enlighten it and fatten upon it let the beggars answer me this question let the impudent the brazen scribes that impose upon the credulous and cowed down english let them tell me why these twenty-one churches were built what they were built for why the large churches of the two codfords were stuck up within a few hundred yards of each other if the whole of the population could then as it can now be crammed into the chancel of either of the two churches let them answer me this question or shut up their mouths upon this subject on which they have told so many lies as to the produce of this valley it must be at least ten times as great as its consumption even if we include the three towns that belong to it i am sure i saw produce enough in five or six of the farmyards or rickyards to feed the whole of the population of the twenty-one parishes but the infernal system causes it all to be carried away not a bit of good beef or mutton or veal and scarcely a bit of bacon is left for those who raise all this food and wool the labourers here look as if they were half starved they answer extremely well to the picture that fortescue gave of the french in his day talk of liberty indeed civil and religious liberty the inquisition with a bellyful is far preferable to a state of things like this for my own part i really am ashamed to ride a fat horse to have a full belly and to have a clean shirt upon my back while i look at these wretched countrymen of mine while i actually see them reeling with weakness when i see their poor faces present me nothing but skin and bone while they are toiling to get the wheat and the meat ready to be carried away to be devoured by the tax-eaters i am ashamed to look at these poor souls and to reflect that they are my countrymen and particularly to reflect that we are descended from those amongst whom beef pork mutton and veal were the food of the poorer sort of people what and is the emigration committee sitting to invent the means of getting rid of some part of the thirty-nine families that are employed in raising the immense quantities of food in each of these twenty-one parishes are there schemers to go before this conjuration committee wiltshire schemers to tell the committee how they can get rid of a part of these one hundred and ninety-eight persons to every parish are there schemers of this sort of work still while no man no man at all not a single man says a word about getting rid of the dead weight or the supernumerary parsons both of whom have actually a premium given them for breeding and are filling the country with idlers we are reversing the maxim of the scripture our laws almost say that those that work shall not eat and those who do not work shall have the food i repeat that the baseness of the english landowners surpasses that of any other men that ever lived in the world the cowards know well that the labourers that give value to their land are skin and bone they are not such brutes as not to know that this starvation is produced by taxation they know well how unjust it is to treat their labourers in this way they know well that there goes down the common foot-soldier's single throat more food than is allowed by them to a labourer his wife and three children they know well that the present standing army in time of peace consumes more food and raiment than a million of the labourers consume ay than two millions of them consume if you include the women and the children they well know these things they know that their poor labourers are taxed to keep this army in fatness and in splendour 
they know that the dead weight which in the opinion of most men of sense ought not to receive a single farthing of the public money swallow more of good food than a third or a fourth part of the real labourers of england swallow they know that a million and a half of pounds sterling was taken out of the taxes partly raised upon the labourers to enable the poor clergy of the church of england to marry and to breed they know that a regulation has been recently adopted by which an old dead-weight man is enabled to sell his dead-weight to a young man and that thus this burden would if the system were to be continued be rendered perpetual they know that a good slice of the dead-weight money goes to hanover and that even these hanoverians can sell their dead-weight claim upon us the country gentlemen fellows know all this they know that the poor labourers including all the poor manufacturers pay one half of their wages in taxes to support all these things and yet not a word about these things is ever said or even hinted by these mean these cruel these cowardly these carrion these dastardly reptiles sir james graham of netherby who i understand is a young fellow instead of an old one may invoke our pity upon these ancient families but he will invoke in vain it was their duty to stand forward and prevent power of imprisonment bills six acts ellenborough's act poaching transportation act new trespass act sunday tolls and the hundreds of other things that could be named on the contrary they were the cause of them all they were the cause of all the taxes and all the debts and now let them take the consequences saturday september second after i got to warminster yesterday it began to rain which stopped me in my way to froom in somersetshire which lies about seven or eight miles from this place but as i meant to be quite in the northern part of the county by to-morrow noon or thereabouts i took a post-chaise in the afternoon of yesterday and went to froom where i saw upon my entrance into the town between two and three hundred weavers men and boys cracking stones moving earth and doing other sorts of work towards making a fine road into the town i drove into the town and through the principal streets and then i put my chaise up a little at one of the inns this appears to be a sort of little manchester a very small manchester indeed for it does not contain above ten or twelve thousand people but it has all the flash of a manchester and the innkeepers and their people look and behave like the manchester fellows i was i must confess glad to find proofs of the irretrievable decay of the place i remembered how ready the bluff manufacturers had been to call in the troops of various descriptions let them said i to myself call the troops in now to make their trade revive let them now resort to their friends of the yeomanry and of the army let them now threaten their poor workmen with the jail when they dare to ask for the means of preventing starvation in their families let them who have in fact lived and thriven by the sword now call upon the parson magistrate to bring out the soldiers to compel me for instance to give thirty shillings a yard for the superfine black broad cloth made at froom which mr rowe at kensington offered me at seven shillings and sixpence a yard just before i left home yes these men have ground down into powder those who are earning them their fortunes let the grinders themselves now be ground and according to the usual wise and just course of providence let them be crushed by the system which they have delighted in because it made others crouch beneath them their poor work-people cannot be worse off than they long have been the parish pay which they now get upon the roads is two shillings sixpence a week for a man two shillings for his wife one shilling threepence for each child under eight years of age threepence a week in addition to each child above eight who can go to work and if the children above eight years old whether girls or boys 
do not go to work upon the road they have nothing thus a family of five people have just as much and eight pence over as goes down the throat of one single foot-soldier but observe the standing soldier that truly english institution has clothing fuel candle soap and house-rent over and above what is allowed to this miserable family and yet the base reptiles who are called country gentlemen and whom sir james graham calls upon us to commit all sorts of acts of injustice in order to preserve never utter a whisper about the expense of keeping the soldiers while they are everlastingly railing against the working people of every description and representing them and them only as the cause of the loss of their estates these poor creatures at froom have pawned all their things or nearly all all their best clothes their blankets and sheets their looms any little piece of furniture that they had and that was good for anything mothers have been compelled to pawn all the tolerably good clothes that their children had in case of a man having two or three shirts he is left with only one and sometimes without any shirt and though this is a sort of manufacture that cannot very well come to a complete end still it has received a blow from which it cannot possibly recover the population of this room has been augmented to the degree of one-third within the last six or seven years there are here all the usual signs of accommodation bills and all false paper stuff called money new houses in abundance half finished new gingerbread places of worship as they are called great swaggering inns parcels of swaggering fellows going about with a vulgarity imprinted upon their countenances but with good clothes upon their backs i found the working people at froom very intelligent very well informed as to the cause of their misery not at all humbugged by the canters whether about religion or loyalty when i got to the inn i sent my post-chaise boy back to the road to tell one or two of the weavers to come to me at the inn the landlord did not at first like to let such ragged fellows upstairs i insisted however upon their coming up and i had a long talk with them they were very intelligent men had much clearer views of what is likely to happen than the pretty gentlemen of whitehall seem to have and it is curious enough that they these common weavers should tell me that they thought that the trade never would come back again to what it was before or rather to what it has been for some years past this is the impression everywhere that the puffing is over that we must come back again to something like reality the first factories that i met with were at a village called upton lovell just before i came to Hatesbury. there they were doing not more than a quarter work there is only one factory i believe here at warminster and that has been suspended during the harvest at any rate at froom they are all upon about a quarter work it is the same at bradford and trowbridge and as curious a thing as ever was heard of in the world is that here are through all these towns and throughout this country weavers from the north singing about the towns ballads of distress they had been doing it at salisbury just before i was there the landlord at hatesbury told me that people that could afford it generally gave them something and i was told that they did the same at salisbury the landlord at hatesbury told me that every one of them had a license to beg given them he said by the government i suppose it was some pass from a magistrate though i know of no law that allows of such passes and a pretty thing it would be to grant such licences or such passes when the law so positively commands that the poor of every parish shall be maintained in and by every such parish however all law of this sort all salutary and humane law really seems to be drawing towards an end in this now miserable country where the thousands are caused to wallow in luxury to be surfeited with food and drink while the millions are continually on the point of famishing in order to form an idea of the degradation of the people of this country and of the abandonment of every english principle what need we of more than this one disgraceful and truly horrible fact 
namely that the common soldiers of the standing army in time of peace subscribe in order to furnish the meanest of diet to keep from starving the industrious people who are taxed to the amount of one half of their wages and out of which taxes the very pay of these soldiers comes is not this one fact this disgraceful this damning fact is not this enough to convince us that there must be a change that there must be a complete and radical change or that england must become a country of the basest slavery that ever disgraced the earth devizes wiltshire sunday morning third september i left warminster yesterday at about one o'clock it is contrary to my practice to set out at all unless i can do it early in the morning but at warminster i was at the south-west corner of this county and i had made a sort of promise to be to-day at highworth which is at the north-east corner and which parish indeed joins up to berkshire the distance including my little intended deviations was more than fifty miles and not liking to attempt it in one day i set off in the middle of the day and got here in the evening just before a pretty heavy rain came on before i speak of my ride from warminster to this place i must once more observe that warminster is a very nice town everything belonging to it is solid and good there are no villainous gingerbread houses running up and no nasty shabby genteel people no women traipsing about with showy gowns and dirty necks no jew-looking fellows with dandy coats dirty shirts and half heels to their shoes a really nice and good town it is a great corn market one of the greatest in this part of england and here things are still conducted in the good old honest fashion the corn is brought and pitched in the market before it is sold and when sold it is paid for on the nail and all is over and the farmers and millers gone home by daylight almost everywhere else the corn is sold by sample it is sold by juggling in a corner the parties meet and drink first it is night work there is no fair and open market the mass of the people do not know what the prices are and all this favours that monopoly which makes the corn change hands many times perhaps before it reaches the mouth leaving a profit in each pair of hands and which monopoly is for the greater part carried on by the villainous tribe of quakers none of whom ever work and all of whom prey upon the rest of the community as those infernal devils the wasps prey upon the bees talking of the devil puts one in mind of his imps and talking of quakers puts one in mind of jemmy cropper of liverpool i should like to know precisely i know pretty nearly what effect late panic has had and is having on jemmy perhaps the reader will recollect that jemmy told the public through the columns of base spot smith that cobbett's prophecies were falsified as soon as born jemmy canting jemmy has now had time to ruminate on that but does the reader remember james's project for making ireland as happy as england it was simply by introducing cotton factories steam engines and power looms that was all and there was jemmy in ireland speech-making before such lords and such bishops and such squires as god never suffered to exist in the world before there was jemmy showing proving demonstrating that to make the irish cotton-workers would infallibly make them happy if it had been now instead of being two years ago he might have produced the reports of the starvation committees of manchester to confirm his opinions one would think that this instance of the folly and impudence of this canting son of the monopolising sect would cure this public of its proneness to listen to cant but nothing will cure it the very existence of this sect none of whom ever work and the whole of whom live like fighting-cocks upon the labour of the rest of the community the very existence of such a sect shows that the nation is almost in its nature a dupe there has been a great deal of railing against the king of spain not to be called the king of spain is looked upon as a proof of want of liberality and what must it be then 
to applaud any of the acts of the king of spain this i am about to do however think dr black of it what he may in the first place the mass of the people of spain are better off better fed better clothed than the people of any other country in europe and much better than the people of england are that is one thing and that is almost enough of itself in the next place the king of spain has refused to mortgage the land and labour of his people for the benefit of an infamous set of jews and jobbers next the king of spain has most essentially thwarted the six acts people the manchester sixteenth of august the parson hay the sidmouth circular the dungeoning the ogden's rupture people he has thwarted and most cuttingly annoyed these people who are also the poacher transporting people and the new trespass law and the apple felony and the horse police or gendarmerie and the sunday toll people the king of spain has thwarted all these and he has materially assisted in blowing up the brutal big fellows of manchester and therefore i applaud the king of spain i do not much like weasels but i hate rats and therefore i say success to the weasels but there is one act of the king of spain which is worthy of the imitation of every king ay and of every republic too his edict for taxing traffickers which edict was published about eight months ago it imposes a pretty heavy annual tax on every one who is a mere buyer and seller and who neither produces nor consumes nor makes nor changes the state of the article or articles that he buys and sells those who bring things into the kingdom are deemed producers and those who send things out of the kingdom are deemed changes of the state of things these two classes embrace all legitimate merchants thus then the farmer who produces corn and meat and wool and wood is not taxed nor is the coachmaster who buys the corn to give to his horses nor the miller who buys it to change the state of it nor the baker who buys the flour to change its state nor is the manufacturer who buys the wool to change its state and so on but the jew or quaker the mere dealer who buys the corn of the producer to sell it to the miller and to deduct a profit which must at last fall upon the consumer this jew or quaker or self-styled christian who acts the part of jew or quaker is taxed by the king of spain and for this i applaud the king of spain if we had a law like this the pestiferous sect of non-labouring sleek and fat hypocrites could not exist in england but ours is altogether a system of monopolies created by taxation and paper money from which monopolies are inseparable it is notorious that the brewer's monopoly is the master even of the government it is well known to all who examine and reflect that a very large part of our bread comes to our mouths loaded with the profit of nine or ten or more different dealers and i shall as soon as i have leisure prove as clearly as anything ever was proved that the people pay two millions of pounds a year in consequence of the monopoly in tea that is to say they pay two millions a year more than they would pay were it not for the monopoly and mind i do not mean the monopoly of the east india company but the monopoly of the quaker and other tea-dealers who buy the tea of that company the people of this country are eaten up by monopolies these compel those who labour to maintain those who do not labour and hence the success of the crafty crew of quakers the very existence of which sect is a disgrace to the country besides the corn market at warminster i was delighted and greatly surprised to see the meat not only the very finest veal and lamb that i had ever seen in my life but so exceedingly beautiful that i could hardly believe my eyes i am a great connoisseur in joints of meat a great judge if five-and-thirty years of experience can give sound judgment i verily believe that i have bought and have roasted more whole sirloins of beef than any man in england i know all about the matter a very great visitor of newgate market 
In short, though a little eater, I am a very great provider. It is a fancy. I like the subject, and therefore I understand it. And with all this knowledge of the matter, I say, I never saw veal and lamb half so fine as what I saw at Warminster. The town is famed for fine meat, and I knew it, and therefore I went out in the morning to look at the meat. It was, too, twopence a pound cheaper than I left it at Kensington. My road from Warminster to Devizes lay through Westbury, a nasty, odious, rotten borough, a really rotten place. It has cloth factories in it, and they seem to be ready to tumble down, as well as many of the houses. God's curse seems to be upon most of these rotten boroughs. After coming through this miserable hole, I came along, on the north side of the famous hill, called Bratton Castle, so renowned in the annals of the Romans, and of Alfred the Great. Westbury is a place of great ancient grandeur, on the north side of the famous hill, and it is easy to perceive that it was once ten or twenty times its present size. My road was now the line of separation between what they call South Wilts and North Wilts, the former consisting of high and broad downs and narrow valleys, with meadows and rivers running down them, the latter consisting of a rather flat and closed country, the former having a chalk bottom, the latter a bottom of marl, clay, or flat stone, the former country for lean sheep and corn, and the latter country for cattle, fat sheep, cheese, and bacon, the former by far to my taste the most beautiful, and I am by no means sure that it is not, all things considered, the most rich. All my way along, till I came very near to Devizes, I had the steep and naked downs up to my right, and the flat and enclosed country to my left. Very near to Bratton Castle, which is only a hill with deep ditches on it, is the village of Eddington, so famed for the battle fought here by Alfred and the Danes. The church in this village would contain several thousands of persons, and the village is reduced to a few straggling houses. The land here is very good, better than almost any I ever saw, as black and apparently as rich as the land in the market gardens at Fulham. The turnips are very good all along here for several miles, but this is indeed singularly fine and rich land. The orchards very fine, finely sheltered, and the crops of apples and pears and walnuts very abundant. Walnuts ripe now, a month earlier than usual. After Eddington I came to a hamlet called Earl Stoke, the houses of which stand at a few yards from each other, on the two sides of the road. Every house is white, and the front of every one is covered with some sort or other of clematis, or with rose-trees or jasmines. It was easy to guess that the whole belonged to one owner, and that owner I found to be a Mr. Watson Taylor, whose very pretty seat is close by the hamlet, and in whose park-pond I saw what I never saw before, namely some black swans. They are not nearly so large as the white, nor are they so stately in their movements. They are a meaner bird. Highworth, Wiltshire, Monday, 4th September. I got here yesterday, after a ride including my deviations, of about thirty-four miles, and that too without breaking my fast. Before I got into the rotten borough of Khan, I had two tributes to pay to the aristocracy, namely two Sunday tolls, and I was resolved that the country in which these tolls were extorted should have not a farthing of my money that I could by any means keep from it. Therefore I fasted until I got into the free quarters, in which I now am. I would have made my horse fast too, if I could have done it without the risk of making him unable to carry me. End of chapter 22